listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. with heart and lung disease are more likely to follow medication therapy um, when they participate in a mobile integrated healthcare program. I'm thinking of technology helping to forward treatment programs and modalities that physicians have kicked off, specialists uh, have kicked off. And what do you know, the pharmacist is aligned to pick up that treatment and move it forward. That's exciting for us here at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And we bring in subject matter experts all over the world, um, prefer, preferably um, to be able to see things change within within our own country. But I'm seeing things happen from a, a global basis. Um, you know, the, it's the chronic diseases, it's patients with chronic heart disease, lung disease, and more likely that, that they're going to pay attention and they're going to be more adherent. Their prescriptions um, move forward, especially when you're enrolling supportive mobile technology. Everybody has a phone in their hands. I can't believe I hear myself say this makes me feel old, but uh, there was a time where there were no mobile phones. I I had to to use a wall phone that had a long cord so I could sneak away so my family wouldn't hear what I was saying to my girlfriend or friends. And now we have technology in the palm of our hand all over the place. I'm excited to welcome back uh, Dr. First as a leader in healthcare technology and bringing subjects and bringing um, subject matter experts and in, in special pharmacists to discussions to really build out um, content that means um, means something to our listeners and to follow up with our listeners. I want to um, welcome Dr. Ula Sokan to the Pharmacy Podcast Network and just want to thank you for being here, Dr. Sokan. Thanks, Todd. So this article, uh, which came out um, back in December, we really wanted to jump on this specifically around respiratory diseases and chronic respiratory disease and how pharmacists in specialty pharmacy and health system community are being um, approached saying, hey, we need additional service and additional uh, treatment. Can you kind of talk to us about your role, your pharmacist role, and how this ties back to um, mobile technologies in tracking and and helping um, patients stay adherent. Thank you, Todd. Um, I think I would provide a little bit of background um, around um, the model that we use in providing care um, to our patients. Um, as a lot of people know, transitions of care is a big thing now because a lot of the health systems have been um, penalized financially um, when a a lot of these patients are readmitted into the hospital um, within a 30-day period. And just to put um, some numbers on that, about one in five Medicare patients um, are readmitted into the hospital within a 30-day period. 
And that that's a big number. So, you know, that costs the government about $17 billion. Um, so we need to be looking um, a little bit more into chronic care, right? These patients um, that have these chronic diseases. Um, and with our um, MIH program here um, in West Baltimore, um, the patient population that we serve um, are not only medically complex patients, but they're also patients that are socially disadvantaged. Um, so it's very important that we look at this set of patients. I think that um, there was a um, there's some numbers to show like, you know, maybe like 5% of these patients are the ones that are responsible for about 50% of the expense, right? Of, um, you know, how much we're spending. So zoom in into this group of patients, right? That need all the care becomes very important. Um, and so this was how um, the MIHCP program at the University of Maryland was started. Um, it's a collaborative um, um, project between Baltimore City Fire Department, um, University of Maryland Medical Center, and of course, University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Um, and so for these patients, it's very important that we we think about what transitions of care is. So let me explain a little bit about transitions of care. So transitions is when a patient moves from one setting to another. In this case, patients have been discharged from their hospital to home. And if we think about it, so many things could go wrong. Apparently, that's the critical period where things happen, things fall through the cracks. And so we need to point in on this transition period. And I never, even as a pharmacist, I never could imagine how many things could possibly go wrong until I started to work as a transitions of care pharmacist. Um, because when these patients come into hospital, so many changes are made. We're changing their therapy, we're increasing doses, we're starting new medications, we're stopping you know, old medications. And if you think about just those types of examples, right? So if I'm starting a new medication, I first have to think that, is this patient able to get it? Can they afford it? So that could be a problem. Is it, does this patient understand how to take it? When they get home, would they remember everything that they were told in the hospital? And if you think about our patient population, they, are, they have low literacy level. So how much are they able to understand and how much are they able to retain? So our program then comes in, we meet the patients in their home, right? And we follow them for 30 days after the hospital discharge. Charge. So making sure that these patients are well settled in their home and that we are doing a warm handoff from inpatient providers to their outpatient providers. So I was really impressed with the article and the research that your uh, program was also engaging the electronic health record to assure that you were pulling data back to the physician's uh, analysis, as well as the pharmacist's analysis and working together to move forward so that we know what's happening in the patient's life. When you mention uh, at-home care, transitions of care, I think of a remote patient monitoring that is specific to a disease state to assure adherence, but have other data variables pumping data back to 
uh, in this case, Epic's Clarity Data Collection System, but then also a new program called MedHX, um, which is another remote patient monitoring uh, collection platform. How do you see technology mobile extracting the data from the um, and involving the patient to be more involved in in their care by documentation? And then how the physician and the pharmacist will collaborate at the EHR level. Can you talk about that as experience and in, in pulling this back to this research too? I think technology is a great resource because we leverage, um, you know, medication history software that's that was provided to us by Doctor First, um, because as you can imagine, these complex patients have multiple chronic conditions. At a minimum, a patient could have between three to five chronic conditions. So that means that they are seeing not only just their primary care providers, but they are seeing other specialists. So a patient could be, say, a cardiologist, an endocrinologist, you know, um, a neurologist. And sometimes, you know, these providers are practicing in silos. Um, so it's important as pharmacists that we are able to um, correctly reconcile their medications, because I think that that's where it starts from. Let's let's figure out what is the complete list of medications that this patient is on. And so for things like that, we look to technology um, and uh softwares like Dr. Fest provided us where we are able to reconcile, get a complete list, make sure that we are, you know, not having duplicate therapy because sometimes these providers are not talking to one another, um, making sure that the medications are safe for the patients. And not just that, you know, that we are able to use technology to track patients that are falling through the cracks, patients that are not adherent so that we can get them on track sooner. And so with that, we're now able to um, work in collaboration with these providers and make sure that everyone is on one level playing field. Um, so I think that pharmacists, you know, with technology, we wear multiple hats, right? So if you if you find out that, oh, okay, I think that an error could be happening, like a duplication of therapy, because this provider is on another EMR system that's not talking to this EMR, we can pick up the phone and let the providers know what's going on. And that way everyone is on the same playing field and we're able to make sure that our patients are safe on the medications that they're taking. The mobile integration aspect of this meeting patients where they are, like I said, at the beginning and opening, we all have those mobile phones in our hands and people of all demographics are getting used to it, whether you're 14 years old, actually even younger than that, obviously my, um, five, five-year-old daughter back in the day was, um, on, a, on using an iPad faster than I was back then. But when I think of continue to build trust through data, that's being extracted, being shared, there were 83 patients that inc were included in this study that you did. What were some of the gaps in the leverage of mobile technology? Did you see a specific demographic using mobile uh, interaction more so? Was it an age differentiator that would that would come into impacting that? But share with our our listeners a little bit about that experience in in engaging the patients and getting them involved in in mobile reporting. 
Um, that's a great question. Well, as a pharmacist that's worked in, you know, different transitions of care models, I think that one thing that makes this model unique is that we also have humans behind the technology. Um, so, you know, we have tried models that have not been so successful. So maybe if you give a patient a device and you expect them to be technologically savvy to be able to connect with you, we've had issues that the patient may have connectivity issues or even if they connect, you know, you're not even able to see what you're expected to see, like the medication bottles, because the patient doesn't just can't figure out how it works. Um, so the unique thing about this model is that we had a field team that was actually present in the patient's home. So I want to really explain what the MIHCP um, team members comprised of. So we have we used um, specially trained paramedics. Um, that were in the home. And as you can imagine, um, these patients are not only complex, but they're also frequent users of ED calling 911. So they're familiar with a lot of the paramedics. And so using paramedics as our frontliners, you know, it helps with trust you know, the familiarity, um, you know, with patients and things. And so the, the paramedics were very welcomed um, in the patient's home. And so in the home, we have a team of paramedics and a pharmacy technician. And then we also have a team that consists of uh pharmacists, um, community health workers, um, nurse practitioners, or even doctors that, you know, leverage technology um, in connecting with the field team whilst in the patient's home. Um, so we didn't really have a lot of troubles um, with, you know, the disparity in the usage of technology because we had humans, you know, behind the technology that was able to, they were able to troubleshoot. But I would add one thing that I think that one thing that I would like to highlight, especially as we are talking about transitions of care, is because, you know, there are different models of transitions of care. There is a model where pharmacists just call a patient, um, you know, soon after they're discharged from the hospital. And we do everything that we do in terms of like comprehensive medication therapy management over the phone. But I think that one thing that stood out to me in having our team physically present in the patient's home is that we were able to see more than what is said, right? Mm -hmm. So we were able to assess a patient's living condition. So a big part of chronic disease management is social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are not we are getting there, but we, you know, we're not doing a great job in capturing some of these social determinants of health. So when a patient comes into clinic, you are able to ask them questions, you know, um, do you eat three times a day and all of these things. But when you're in the patient's home, you know, we have access to their fridge, for example, for patients that have insulin. They give us access to go in and see. So that way you're able to see, is the fridge empty? You know, what types of food is in the food cabinet? And so one great thing that our paramedics had to incorporate is moving with a mobile, I guess, food dispensary, because some of our patients have no food at home. Jeez. And they are taking diabetic medications. And so our paramedics were able to provide not just resources, but snacks and non-perishable foods, you know, to our patient group. 
So, you know, having a feel for the patient's living condition, we were also able to assess for safety because some of our patients are geriatric. We were able to assess for things like falls risk. Mm -hmm. You know, are there things that we can fix that can reduce? I mean, the goal of transitions of care is that we are trying to reduce that 30-day readmission and making sure that, you know, we can provide chronic disease state management to the patient. The goal, the overall goal is to improve the patient's clinical outcomes. And we're not able to do that successfully until we start to resolve some of the social determinants of health. And I think that that was a great component um, of our program. Yeah, I, I like, uh, Dr. Soken, how you reference the team approach because you've just mentioned physicians, pharmacists, paramedics. I'm sure there were some other members, maybe a family member that could be um, the go-to uh, individual to follow up with care. How did this impact hospital uh, readmissions? Kind of give us a uh, a metric around that. I think that um, because if you think about some of the metrics that we were even thinking about with transitions of care is that, you know, first thing we looked at was new medications, for example. So for these patients that were studied on new medications, we wanted to look at their prescription first fill rates. And so by that, we mean, you know, of all of these new medications, how much of it was picked up within a 30 day period? Right. Because sometimes you do great work. Patient comes into the hospital, you start them on great medications and, you know, we do all of this adjustments. And then the, you send the patient home, send the prescription, you know, to their patient's pharmacy. But have we ever thought to look at how many of these prescriptions were even picked up? And so that was one thing that, you know, doctor first provided us with is data. We started to look at, you know, because we only follow these patients for a 30 day period. But then we wanted data six months after, you know, we had an intervention with them and see what what is there. Not only were we looking at prescription first fill rates, we were also looking at medication adherence. So let's look at this patient's uh, medication adherence six months before they came into our program. And let's do a post analysis where we're looking at their medication adherence six months out. Did we see any improvement? And so in our study, um, the prescription first fill rates increased by nearly 20% for patients with chronic um, heart failure, congestive heart failure, and about 25% increase um, in patients with chronic uh, obstructive pul uh, pulmonary disease. And so why did we peak this chronic disease states? Because, you know, a lot of our patients suffer from these disease states. And these are the disease states that we should be looking at because, you know, in, in the, when I started, we talked about the fin financial penalty that some of these um, hospitals have been hit with. And it's chronic conditions like CHF, COPD, you know, pulmonary diseases um, that we should be looking at. So I think of the, the phrase that you've said a couple of times and how important it is, transitions of care. And I think of the hospital system that you are invested in, tied into um, the Maryland School of Pharmacy, uh, University um, of Maryland Medical Center. And then my next phase is the transitions of care or giving the baton to a community pharmacist as a way of continuing this relationship. 
is there a shift where you'll notice that uh, this is taking place? Or if it's a um, condition that's considered a specialty pharmacy medication, does it stay in the health system's care for the entire duration of care? Kind of describe that, the difference between baton to a community pharmacy to follow up with after this study was concluded, or because it's a specialty disease state, does it stay within the health system to then manage that disease state? Thanks, Todd. I think that um, community pharmacists are a great resource that we are not tapping fully into. Um, they're able to continue the care of these patients, but in a lot of the cases, nobody talks, I mean, when I had interactions with some of these community pharmacists, first, they were not even aware that the patient was in the right. hospital. So right. we need to be thinking about including community pharmacists in our communication when we're thinking about correct discharge planning, especially when medications have changed. And I would cite an example of a patient because one of the things that our program is big on is patient education. Um, around new medications, medications that have changed, um, you know, making sure that the patients stop old medicine so that we don't have duplication of therapy. And there was this patient that was in the hospital for um, hyperglycemia, DKA, and we had adjusted the patient's insulin dose um, in the hospital. And so for our patients, our patients have, um, you know, meds to bed service. So that means that when they go home, we're able to send them home with at least a month's prescription. Right. Um, and so that also helps, you know, in, you know, um, troubleshooting things like parathorizations and, you know, let's make sure that the patient has the meds that they need when they're going home. But in my first, um, you know, talking about that, we're not tapping into um, community pharmacies or we're not carrying them along as we should, is that for this patient, even though they have their new insulin dosing at home for 30 days, but let's think about what happens after 30 days. Mm -hmm. The patient calls their retail, their CVS pharmacist and says, oh, you know, I'm out of my insulin. Can I refill my medications? Now, if the community pharmacist was not put in the loop, Todd, what do you think that the pharmacist would do? They would go and fill whatever was in the history. Mm -hmm. And so we are taking the patient back to the old dosing because there was a communication gap. And so one good thing about transitions of care is we become care coordinators. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of my job. So it's not just the patient education. I'm carrying the primary care doctors along. Hey, did you know that your patient was in the hospital? I'm not just waiting on the hospital to send the discharge instructions, but I'm also calling them to make sure that it was done. And if it wasn't done, then I fax it to them myself. I'm making sure that the specialist that needs to know they're also on board and that we're bringing the community pharmacists on board because remember I'm only there for the patient for 30 days but the care is an ongoing care because it's a chronic condition and so what I'm even though we're doing all this great work we need to be doing a warm handoff to the community pharmacists because they're easily access accessible and they're able to pick off from where you stopped and continue the care of the patient so I think that in thinking about transitions of care and in thinking about communication gaps, we need to loop 
all of these pieces in to make sure that we are reducing the inefficiencies that we currently have in the healthcare system. Absolutely. I applaud you for saying that because sometimes we miss the baton handing off to one type of pharmacist, the specialty health system pharmacist versus that community pharmacist that's prepared if they had the data. And when I think of Dr. First's multi-platforms and APIs that they can build into different systems, it really keeps the communications and the data all in one place so that multiple providers can be accessing what the, what the, the patient is going through in their treatment and understanding that folded in with your team of actually being on premise and being in the home and seeing kind of their surroundings and what they're going through. It provides an extra layer of richness and care that is very empathetic because now the paramedic, the nurse, the pharmacy tech, the pharmacist that was involved, maybe reading the case, even if they didn't get to visit the home, becomes much more attuned to what that patient is going through, personalizes the care. And I know that if I'm on the phone or if I'm on a, a telehealth engagement with a pharmacist that reads something that I know that they know me and they know my condition, I'm more likely to trust and to listen to them so that they, uh, you know, I feel like they know what I'm going through. And and I, I think that there's an aspect to this program that, that you were part of in collecting this data, that mobile is a big part of this collection of this data. But like you said, you have to assure that each of the healthcare providers know what's going on so that no one drops that baton. And then all of that treatment and all of that time and all of that money spent almost has to sometimes go into a reset, especially if that patient has to go back into the emergency room. Absolutely. And I think that another thing that this program helps is that we are able to um, open the open our patients to the resources that are readily available to them that they had no clue about. So some of the reasons why patients don't pick up medications on time is because some of them struggle with things like transportation. Well, I don't have anyone to take me like they're waiting on a caregiver or a family member, um, you know, to take them to the pharmacy to pick up their medicine. And we're seeing like two weeks gap because of that. But they never knew that their pharmacy offers a delivery service. So just really just making sure that these patients know all the services that even their pharmacy offers and are able to tap into the resources as well. Something as simple as that. You know, knowing that, hey, did you know that CVS offers like delivery service, you know, at no cost to you or, you know, just by downloading their app or it could be, oh, I never knew that, you know, you know, they add an app. And so our paramedics will go on their phone if they have a smartphone and download the CVS app and set them up for pharmacy delivery. And so for like pharmacies that don't offer things like pharmacy delivery, because I mean, our paramedics, when we're going into the patient's home, we go like ready. We go with like pill boxes because when we go in into the patient's home and medications are so disorganized and, you know, this could even be causing errors. You're mixing discontinued meds with medications that they're 
you're currently taking, our paramedics and the pharmacy technician will sit down and help the patient with organizing and teach them how to, for example, fill a pill box and make sure that the, the um, retail pharmacist is aware. And it, we have pharmacists, especially with independent pharmacists, that are able to provide even more services you know, than the big chains. They're able to have medications in blister packs. I mean, we have patients that, you know, they're not able to read or write or they're visually impaired, you know, and getting them to read, you know, uh, medication bottles could be problematic. And so we would offer them things like having medications in blister packs. And so just, you know, having a pharmacist really look at where is the problem occurring and how can we solve this problem for our patients? Absolutely. Yeah, this is the next gen pharmacist pathway in being disinvolved in patient care, in transitions of care, and changes to the patient's life and how the pharmacist can be tapped in. You know, by average, seeing the patient nine times more than the physician, just based on the workload that the physician has, passing the the treatment plan to a pharmacist whether it starts at the hospital system and it ends in the community through an independent community pharmacist or one of the chain pharmacists, as long as they have the resources and as long as they have the attention ready, as well as the technology understanding of what's already been built and what's already been invested in, um, like through organizations like Dr. First, this is a win-win for us to move forward and assuring that patients who a lot of them are stuck in their homes who don't really have the ability based on their health to leave, pharmacists are getting involved. We know of an entire initiative where there's a home care organization that is now teaming with independent community pharmacies to do more than just medication management. They're going in, they're doing some light cleaning, light bathing, uh, checking up on the patient, repackaging their dispensing systems that might be sitting off to the side on a coffee table that has the strip, pack <laughs> strip pack packaging in it. And then it makes it easier for this patient to take their next dose. You've mentioned a lot of amazing things. I want you to give our listeners, as someone who has led research, as well as um, continuing to design and, and, and change uh, treatment programs to fit the, the client and fish, fit, fit our patients, I want you to give them some advice in listening to the um um, to the program today, what they could do within their own organization to help institute something in transitions of care for patients. Um, thanks, Todd. I think that um, in transitions of care, everyone that is involved in that process, whether it be nurses, discharge nurses, um, the discharge team, the medical doctors, the pharmacists, we all need to wear the hat of a care coordinator. I think that, you know, just saying, oh, I'm a pharmacist, I'm just going to counsel the patient. It's not sufficient. We, I think that we need to go over and beyond and always think about what next. Um, and I think that that's very important because, I mean, I'm also one that is very passionate about patient safety. Um, I'd given talks at Maryland Patient Safety Organizations. And, you know, when I give these talks, it's really an eye opener, not just to the inpatient side, because you're thinking inpatient because yeah. you're not really an outpatient provider. So you need somebody that's on the outside to come and open your eyes to things that can be improved on the inside. So for example, when a patient is discharged from the hospital, it's not just okay to tell the patient, follow up with your primary care in seven days. 
We need to even know, does the patient have a primary care doctor? Yeah. Right? Because a lot of patients would have a name and, you know, I cannot tell you, Todd, how many times a patient would tell you, oh, yes, I have a primary care doctor. It's Dr. Smith. And then I call Dr. Smith's practice and they're like, no, we haven't seen the patient in two years. <laughs> so that's a patient that's lost the follow up. Yeah. And so my job, I cannot drop the ball, is to make sure that I schedule and make sure that the patient keeps an appointment with Dr. Smith to reestablish care. And that Dr. Smith is in the loop of everything that happened in the hospital so that they can continue the care of the patient. So everybody needs to wear that care coordinator hat. So when you are discharging a patient, it's not just sufficient to make sure to, you know, with, because I get a lot, I get this a lot from, you know, providers in the hospital where I electronically send their medications to their retail pharmacy. But now this medication needs a prior off. Yeah. So in that example where the primary care has not, you know, the patient has lost touch with the primary care, guess what? With the patient population that I serve, if that patient walks into the pharmacy and says, I've come to pick up my prescription, and you tell them it's not ready because they don't even understand what a prior auth is, the patient will say, oh, well, maybe the doctor changed their mind. I'm not supposed to be on that med. They go home and continue living their lives. But that was not the case. Yes. So we want to be making sure as pharmacists that we're looking into all of these barriers. If it's a prior auth, I'm talking to the inpatient provider, you know, whilst I, you know, establish care with the primary care, which sometimes could take time. So like, for example, and we've had this happen a lot where patients are discharged, they don't have a primary care. We send them on 30 days, but their first appointment with their new primary care is in 45 days. Well, we only send them with a 30-day prescription. So there's going to be a 15-day gap. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'm having to go back to my inpatient docs to say, hey, can you bridge me another 30 days whilst this patient keeps this first appointment? And I'm keeping an eye. I'm like, you know, you're, you're making sure that you are keeping an eye to make sure that the patient actually goes. And so one of the things that, you know, our team does is we have very fantastic community health workers. So they help patients set up things like Metro access. So sometimes the only barrier to keeping an appointment with their primary care doctor is transportation. Mm -hmm. So if we are able to sort them with things like Metro access and get that run in, we fix that problem. So everyone needs to be thinking that when a patient comes back to the hospital, a lot of times it's not because the meds is not working. It's the social determinants. You know, is the patient, is the, can it, sometimes my patients come into the hospital so that they can eat. Mm. It's very unfortunate, but that's the reality. Yep. They come into the hospital because they know that when they're in the hospital, they would, they would eat three square meals. And so we need to be thinking about these things on a bigger scale. Dr. Olusokan, you have been a beacon of light today and just um, reaffirming what we believe with regards to collaboration, as well as the evolution of the pharmacist role in uh, in treating treating chronic diseases and in other facets of of healthcare, especially when we employ technology as we have. I want to give a, a thank you to the University of Maryland Medical Center and the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Uh, Dr. Sokan, I want to thank you as well. And then a shout out to Dr. First. You have been instrumental in helping us to put together um, educational audio programming for pharmacists, as well as other healthcare providers. 
Um, Dr. Sokan, this has been wonderful. I hope to have you back in the future. Thank you so much, Todd. It's been great talking with you. Thank you.